1: I feel weird starting it without. If only Mark I could here. swear
2: in Chinese. Why would you want to swear in Chinese? Oh man, you haven't seen Firefly either. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thanks, Greg. Way no to go.
2: <laughs> Way to save Tammy. So, hey, everybody, welcome to episode 144 of the More Than Just Code podcast. I'm Tim Mitchell and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And we have Greg Heo from San Francisco, California. How's it going? And we have Tammy Coron from somewhere south of the Mason-Dixon line in Tennessee.
1: Hey there. All
2: right. Uh, Jaime can't be with us today. He's decided to go to a Google I.O. event, so we'll have to fend without him. So, first of all, we have a couple of uh, MT- ask MTJC um, links from some of our fans. Uh, one is Sean Marson, who brings us a question, which is: Do you guys know any good Objective C tutorials on creating frameworks? Mine just broke, and he can't figure out why. So, we used to, Greg and I were talking about this before the show. We used to have a tutorial on frameworks on the Ray Like site, but I think it's been Swiftified, right? And didn't we talk, There was a, there was a link we talked about in the show a thousand years ago, um, sometime last year about Objective-C for Swift programmers. You guys remember that one?
3: Objective-C for Swift programmers.
2: I don't think I remember that. No. (laughs) There was actually a, there's actually a link
3: for, for, I think for that show. Yeah, for sure. Um. We do, um, the tutorial on RayWendogs.com is actually still available, written by our good friend Sam Davis. Um, So it is out of date, but it is from before the Swift days. Uh, so you could check it out and see although probably the xcode screenshots will be all out of date and all of that but um right, right. it is an objective c and it doesn't a lot of the old tutorials we were talking about earlier will redirect to the swift equivalents but this one doesn't so it could still help you out um but otherwise i i, I don't think i have anything else to suggest other than like you know apple documentation or something but this tutorial still up it's got lots of animated gifs and everything so maybe it'll still help i was going to say uh, so we'll put a link to the show in the show notes for that um
2: and strangely enough there are a number of us objective c folks around who can probably help you take a look at your problem too so um the other link from jesse katterwall um of ray winter lake fame also asked us asked an b- opinion on drobo verse four versus five um and i have a long history of using drobo uh raid systems They're, they call themselves beyond raid and the, the trick to them is that you can put any size drive in, and it'll automatically uh, configure a raid for you. And as you as you use up the space and you need to upgrade, you can just pop in a, a larger drive, and it'll automatically um, migrate over. So it's different than raid traditional raid. Where you, in traditional raid you have to use four identical drives from the same manufacturer and with a controller. This one you can mix and match. The only thing you can't do is use the energy efficient drives. They don't the Drobo's don't like that. But if if you're asking me whether a Drobo four versus a Drobo five the advantage of the five is that you can have uh two redundant disks as backup whereas with the drobo four you have to have one as a sort of i guess the um what do they call it i've forgotten the terminology mm-hmm. now but you you have to have if one drive fails on a drobo four then you uh and you don't replace it you can lose all the data on all the other drives because there's a pair um parity i think it's called where it carries over uh um, snapshots of the other drives but if you have a drobo five you can two drives can fail before you lose all your data so that's the difference between a four and a five so if you if have if you can afford it i would go, definitely go with a five
3: so wait on, on the drobo four if you lose one drive that's okay
2: you lose one drive you go into a degraded mode and then so you're running at about 80 percent efficiency but you're but you're not, not losing data no, you're not. Okay. No. And they are okay. still up and running, so you're still continuing to do what you need to do, yes. but you need to replace, you need to pop in a new drive before one of the other drives. So if in a Drobo 4, if two drives fail, you lose all your data. Yes. yes. Right? And in a Drobo 5, if three drives fail, you lose all your data. So
3: Okay. So a Drobo 4 can sustain one drive failure, and a Drobo 5 can sustain two drives failing. That's what you're saying.
2: Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And from my from my hardware days of, of um, dealing with uh, drive failures, there's actually all drives come with a, a, a stat called mean time between failure, which basically tells you that it is going to fail one of these days. So, um, and that's the nature of, of drives in general. So, um, you're, you're, they're going to crash. It's, you don't know whether it's going to be this week or six years from now. Right. So I have some drives that have been running for 10 years and they're still going, but, uh, you never know. So if I had my druthers, I'd get a f- uh, five. And I, I think he's talking about the C, which I think is a desktop, um, storage drive. Um the other issue about about the Drobo is it's not got a great reputation for speed that was my sort of experience with it so that might be something to consider Oh I was going to say about the Drobo 4 and 5 is you don't have to put four drives in you can start off with two drives and you can build um build your uh, rate up as you go so
3: but there are a certain number you need for that. I think it's RAID five. That's for redundancy, yeah, yeah, it does the striping right. and the parity bit, and you can afford to lose a drive. I think you need at least five or four. No, no, no. You, you only,
2: you only need in in the case of Drobo, if you have two drives, you no, get parity between. No, no, but two will the,
3: give you like mirroring or something like that no like it's not. not drives, no, no
2: that's, 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 I'm saying it. this is beyond raid technology it's not not traditional raid two drives will just give you striping or mirroring striping is the worst idea ever um, well that's where mirroring you get the speed
3: is, right so it's not the worst idea yeah
2: ever. well yeah, it's good for speed but you're but you're you're basically on a tightrope and you never know when it's going to collapse right because um, if you if you're if you don't back up that data one of these days one of those two drives are going to fail in the stripe situation
3: right but that's the that's the trade-off editing. right it's always speed yeah, versus yeah. capacity so if you want speed right then you go with striping anyway um two drives in a drobo are you saying if you have two drives in the drobo and you lose one drive then your data will still survive
2: yes you just have to pop in a new drive and right. it so it's the just mirroring
3: drive. with two drives essentially yeah, yeah. So, yeah so you're but, not getting and, and, any and speed boost right like there's different right. levels right if you have two drives then you're, right. your capacity is halved effectively yeah,
2: but RAID RAID five is generally what we call this RAID, you know, with the number five following
3: it, and that minimum
2: for RAID five is three drives. Three drives minimum. Right? Okay, yeah, it. minimum. Yeah. So, and so, and in most RAID configurations, you always lose one drive's worth of capacity. So, for the for the redundancy, right? It stands for um, redundant array of inexpensive disks. That's what RAID stands for. In this case,
3: or independent disks, is what I've learned it as. But yeah, no, I learned it's inexpensive. They That's why I looked they at. Could be. But, they could still yeah. be expensive. You never know. Well, if That's I made a true. raid of
2: SSDs, right? <laughs> well, no, and actually, the, 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 to bring that point up, though, you can actually—I uh, think Drobo does carry does have a product where you can put in the two and a quarter inch drives. Oh, nice. And I believe, and I believe they have—they—they they do also support SSD drives in in their configurations now too. That makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, so those would be rock and fast as well. So. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's more than you want to know about Drobo. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Drobo. So, I mean, it has some people have a. It's one of these, you know. People like them, like them, or they they hate them. This, there's, there's no, I've never met anybody that's sort of lukewarm about a Drobo. So, but I like it from the point of view that I've got redundant data
3: storage. And of course, we in-house. should add the extra caveat that RAID is not a backup. It is not a backup. All no. Right. We'll just say that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I need to get another, ra- another Drobo to back up my Drobo. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad. Okay. All right, so we have some uh, follow-up items. One, The first one is I posted is about Apple TV and Amazon are getting together. Apparently, the Amazon Prime video service is coming to Apple TV. That's one of the rumored announcements at WWDC. So apparently, they're going to be playing nice together. What Kinda have you guys heard about this? Kind surprising on
3: the TV front, considering like, Amazon has traditionally been like maybe a bit of a shift they're like we sell devices yes like the kindle and the kindle Fire and things like that but we're primarily a content distributor so if you buy a kindle book and you want to read it on your ipad then that's fine go ahead we have a kindle app on everything right and so you would have thought that they would say apple tv is out great yeah you want to watch your amazon video subscription amazon prime whatever go ahead but that they didn't have it i think Kind of show the shift that they were like, well, Amazon Video, we're going to hold it back and you have to, you know, watch it on your computer and log into your Amazon account or buy one of our devices. But not having it on Apple was kind of funny. Like maybe there was some technical decision behind it, but it feels kind of like um i don't know i would say it feels like a, a bit of a retreat if this rumor is true and if they are coming to apple tv if there was no technical reason why they weren't on it before it seems like they're like yeah okay our original strategy yes we should just be a con- not just but we should be a content distributor no matter what the platform is so i don't know i don't know what that says exactly but it's a uh, interesting development
4: i remember when amazon video first came out and it wasn't available on Apple TV, and it was kind of a big deal at the time because mm. I had an Apple TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think it was a technical issue, though I can't be sure. Uh, it did get, it did, I did get the feeling at the time that they were specifically holding it back for some reason, maybe just to to drum up uh, support for some of their own hardware. So it's very possible. I don't know, but uh, I'm I'm pretty excited that they've come around because I, I do have an Apple TV that doesn't get a lot of use these days, mm. especially since my. Cable provider now offers Netflix through the set-top box that I already use, so Netflix was kind of my main reason for using the Apple TV at one point. Yeah, uh, so so this gives me actually another reason to use it. So I'm I'm sort of excited about that. Yeah, it's almost like
3: if Netflix said if Netflix came out with a hardware device, and then they said, and you know, Netflix runs on like you know your refrigerator and all kinds of things these days. And if Netflix came up with a hardware device and they said, you, we are not going to have a Netflix app anymore on any other platform, you know what I mean? But Netflix is taking the opposite tack and they're saying, no, you can run Netflix on absolutely everything because we are just mm-hmm. the streaming service. So it feels like Amazon, you know, I don't know, again, moving to in the that direction, yeah. saying, yes, we do have hardware products, but maybe they said it is not enough of a draw like like you tim people are like i can't get amazon video on device x so i'm just not going to watch it like maybe enough people were like that they're like all right fine we have to have an apple tv app and we have to have a google play app or whatever so yeah uh, interesting if that's the case and what happened it'll be interesting to see what happens to their fire tv and their tv related hardware products in the future
1: i don't I don't think it has anything to do with technical. I think it's all about the money. So do I, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm just
3: giving them an out. Maybe uh, there was some no. streaming issue. Because, you know, doing streaming think about it. When, and on it, an Apple on TV. If you're on an
1: Audible app or a Kindle app, you can't download anything through the app. You have to leave the app, go to the website, download it that way to add it to your device. Uh-huh. Why? Because Apple will take their cut of the money if you buy through them, which is essentially what will happen. It's right. considered an in-app purchase. I think it's the same thing with the with any Amazon app that's on an Apple TV. Apple's going to want their cut. Right. And to be honest with you, I've been an, an Amazon Prime member for longer than I can even count. I only have 10 fingers, so I can't count that high. But I mean, I have yet to watch an Amazon Prime movie because (laughs) all I ever do is work on my Apple TV. You know, I've got the Netflix, I've got the Hulu, I've got whatever Apple TV gives me. And it aggravates me to no end that there's no Amazon. And the only reason I have not canceled my Amazon Prime is because I use it for the shipping. I don't care about all that other stuff, to be honest with you. But now that th- if this rumor is true, I'm totally going to be stoked for it because I really, really would love to have access to my Amazon Prime stuff on my Apple TV. Yeah. Right. And hey, listen, Amazon, if you guys are listening, I really want to be able to order stuff. I would probably order a lot more books, although I'm my uh, Audible membership's on hold. But anyway, <laughs> if, it, if it was not, I would have ordered more stuff if I could just order it from the app as opposed to tagging. It for you know later yeah. or Add whatever it they call list it, save or it th- yeah. yeah to your wish yeah. list.
2: Now, the reason why Amazon uh, app can't can't um, buy you can't buy books right on the Amazon app is because Apple had this rule where they came out with early in the day saying that you can't have third party purchases through. An app. You had to go through some sort of in app purchases kind of mechanism, which is really annoying. The other thing is that I do have a TV that has Amazon Prime on it, and I have Amazon Prime now. And just like you guys, I have not been watching any content because it's just too annoying to switch back and forth. That said, my TV has Netflix. like So, like Mark, I don't necessarily go to my Apple TV all that much anymore either. So, it could have been another reason for why the Apple TV needs to exist, right? Yeah. Uh, but my, what I was going to go with, why, I think why Apple and Amazon are now doing this deal is is because of the rumored YouTube TV, which is coming from Google. And we saw today in Google I, and when we'll talk about it a little bit later, that that is now a reality. It's actually a, a real live service that's happening as we speak. So YouTube is going to be showing, uh, having TV and using all their AI stuff that they've got coming, uh, or, or it's already out. Um, I think that's going to be a real uh, challenge for Apple and Amazon to sort of compete Wait,
1: against. is that the YouTube Red
2: Yeah, yeah, I think they're called U2 TV today, but yeah, that's the red service they were talking about. Okay. Hey, Tommy, you were going to say something about the Hulu app on the uh, TV, right?
1: Oh, don't get me started with the new Hulu app. Well, there you go. It's horrible. See, you did it now. Look, I I don't have cable in my area for TV. Well, I probably do. It's just way too expensive. Um, Nonetheless, all we do out here is stream. We have Apple TV, and we put on there Hulu and the Netflix. We don't have anything else. So when we're sitting here using Hulu... And we used it all the time. We loved it. You know, you you would have the badges to see what shows you're watching and what's new. It was fantastic. And then they had this redesign. And normally a redesign is a good thing, and it's a beautiful app. Hulu created this beautiful app, but it's completely unusable. It's like my my Italian grandmother's furniture beautiful, <laughs> but you're not allowed to use it, right? It's it's just terrible. The badges are gone. You can't find what you're looking for, and it's even it's simple little like for example, you go into the profile to select your profile, and let's say you know we've got four people in my house, and if I'm on my profile and I go into select profiles when i select myself all the option to do there is cancel there's no like okay to reselect no granted you shouldn't be able to reselect your profile i get that but still as a user i don't cancel is confusing just let me reselect myself You know, it's just that whoever came up with that really needs to go back and say, oops, made a mistake. Let me redo this because it's freaking horrible.
2: Well, we've seen bad apps like that. I mean, the Netflix app on the Apple TV when it first came out was, was horrible compared to how it was on other platforms. I mean, you couldn't find your list and all that kind of stuff. And that was a big challenge. And I think with each revision, they seem to be getting better and better. Or maybe it's my TV is better than my Apple TV. I don't know. uh,
1: I think Hulu missed the boat on this one big time. And it's not just me. I mean, granted, I could sit here and say, oh, well, you know, maybe I'm just being a little crazy about how I like to use my apps. But if you look, you can see it. You could go to Twitter. People are bitching about it all the time it's just like you know they would rather use their old hulu app on their other devices than the new hulu app on the apple tv
2: really well we don't have the hulu up here in canada but but from what i understand the hulu is hulu is like the second to to netflix in terms of what people are using down in the states right
1: Well, not anymore. You know, we used to, when when we would sit down at the end of the night and try and find something to watch, we would go to Hulu and we would watch what we would watch on Hulu. Now we go to Hulu and we try and find what we want to watch. And we, all of us, there's, like I said, there's four of us in this house. We all get frustrated. We're like, you know what? No. We're either going to watch Netflix, you know, find something on Netflix, or we're going to go to iTunes. And we don't generally go into iTunes, but I'm finding that we're going into this is great for Apple TV. And, and, and Apple, we are going into iTunes more often now and purchasing content to watch than what we were doing previously, and that would just be watching it on Hulu. I am like, you can't even see my tiny little air, little minuscule thing, but I am this close to canceling Hulu at this point.
3: Hmm. What do you other guys think about it? I don't use Hulu, so I have uh, I have no opinion, but I have seen Tammy's <laughs> very frustrating, sounding, frustrated <laughs> sounding tweets, so uh, I believe it. Right. All right.
2: I don't
4: use Hulu either. Okay. For good well, reason, well, and, apparently.
2: Well, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll talk about... Uh, I remember when it first came out, because I remember trying to look at it, and I think I tunneled over to uh, to the States to see what was going on. Um, all right. Let's move on to the next story, which is uh, a follow-up to the uh, article we talked about last week, where um more of a PSA from us about uh, Mac Store apps and the security comes with them. In the case of the a handbrake app, which people use to legally convert their media into digital format. And a lot of people use it. And uh, the story here is that one of the developers over at panic makers of, Oh, what do they got? Coda and transmit and a bunch of other really cool apps. Uh, a small Mac shop, that's been fairly successful in the Mac app store. They, one of the guys there, um, followed the, the, the teasers and decided to update his handbrake during the three day window when, Um, Handbrake had been compromised, and unfortunately for them, they managed to get a hold of his um, GitHub certificates and authentication and went in and grabbed all their as much of their code as they could. And, and fortunately, they found it. And uh, so the, the story here, that we'll link in the show notes, is a plea to people. Uh, first of all, about like how damaging this really can be. And uh, there's they're sort of saying, like, even after a week, the code is no longer valid. Uh, the only problem with it is that somebody may try and publish cracked versions of Transmit and the other apps that they've created. I think Cope Co- Coda. Is one of them mm-hmm. anybody familiar with, with transmit or uh, panic software
3: i used to use transmit s- back in the ftp days i don't use it anymore but yeah i used to use that and i know coda has its legion of very dedicated fans um, but oh I never, and this I prompt too either. prompt is another one that they use because I, I have the I have oh, those yeah. two apps on my iphone i used yeah. to, <laughs> <laughs> i think i bought it but i never i never ssh from my phone anymore but i do have that app too right yeah
2: yeah, so yeah, I mean, and that's yeah, it's basically a terminal terminal client for uh, various sites. But yeah, it's an interesting story. Just sort of, I guess, the uh, the the case or the case study of what happens to uh, when a large company gets um, hacked uh, and their their software goes offline or it goes online and uh, somebody has their way with it. So uh, they're asking, you know, their plea, their plea is if you see any of their code out there, um, let them know. There's, you can either email them or DM them. Well, again, they can read through that in the article here. But sort of a tale of woe. <laughs> What do you guys think of that?
4: Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that it happened to him, but it, but it's a good uh, good lesson for everybody. Everybody yeah. sees the article.
2: Well, yeah, and it, it's it, it kind of leads into the next story, which we've talked about. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show live or if it's been part of the after show, but um, we talk a lot about, because I'm in Canada and I come to the States you know, occasionally, and Greg's you know, recently moved down to the States, but even before that, he was coming and going quite a bit. And I know that um, there are occasions when Jaime crosses the border into Canada, for instance, but uh, there's a story on CBC about one of the reporters who. Uh, and this is on Spark Radio on the weekend, and so I've l- I got a link here to the actual. You can read the transcript, or you can listen to the to the just this part of their show. It's their podcast. But he was crossing the border into the United States, and because he's a reporter, uh, you know, photojournalist, if you will, he. Has been to Iraq and he has been to somewhere else over uh, Syria, I think, right? So when he was asked a question at the border crossing, he, he's an, he has a Nexus card, so he was flagged as a as a Nexus user to go and have a secondary inspection, and they asked to see what was on his phone, and he realized that he had photography and he had stories and he had contacts that uh, would reveal his sources to the uh, border guards, and he felt he couldn't, you know, uh, journalists have to protect their sources um, just as a matter of their their profession. And he felt he couldn't let them onto his phone. So he was denied entry into the United States. So what's interesting, though, is on the on the episode, they talked to um, a security expert uh, from the states about crossing the border and um, what your rights are when you cross the border, just in case people are curious. But apparently the Fourth Amendment uh, means nothing when you're when you're at a border crossing apparently you know you they have the right to grab your phone they can take your phone they can ask you to unlock the phone they can take the phone away from you and they can you know go into a back room they have technology to to make a complete duplicate of your phone and in some cases they may even send your phone off to somewhere else and you may not get your phone back so be cognizant of the kind of things that you're crossing the border with like if you're carrying customer data with you um maybe you shouldn't be having that on a device that, that you might have to hand over um so, you know, lately when I've been coming to the States, I have a secondary laptop that doesn't have my client work on it. So, I, you know, if I'm going to, to uh, RW DevCon, I took a, a laptop that that had Xcode and had the tools I needed to to enjoy the, the conference, but not necessarily compromise my client data. Um, so I'm... Even thinking about carrying a second phone when I come into the States now. So, And
3: it also applies to Americans and not just Canadians crossing the border. So, Although for Americans, you can't be denied entry because you're a citizen. So they can hold you up and make you sit there for two hours. And you can just say, no, I'm not going to lock my phone. And they can say all kinds of things. But in the end, they have to let you in sort of eventually.
2: Yeah, they let you Um, in, but they don't have to let your phone in is what I'm saying. Yeah, maybe they can confiscate the phone.
3: Yeah, but I'm saying you don't have to unlock the phone you can, then you can say, yeah. I mean, if you have an iPhone, then there'll be some, you know, secure enclave things and that kind of thing. So you don't have to unlock your phone. Again, they'll make you sit there, but they'll have to let you in eventually. Whereas if you're not American, then that's not necessarily the case. So you right. have to be careful. Right. Did you guys ever talk about the Basecamp employee guide? Basecamp put their, um, or so the employee handbook, and they put it on GitHub. Did you guys ever talk oh, about really, that? Yeah. Uh, they no, have a no, section no, on international so. travel. So this is the Basecamp Company official guide for employees doing travel. And if you look at the traveling to the U.S. section, it's like, yeah, don't bring work data if you don't have to. And, you know, there's things about like wiping your phone and things like that. So it's kind of crazy that even, um, you know... A- I don't know. They're not like large, but you know, a well-known company that has all all remote employees that tells them, "Yeah, if you are coming right, to the right. US, don't forget, you know, I'll install Dropbox, take off your one password, take off all this stuff. Don't don't bring work data if you don't have to, because you know we'll give you a laptop here while you are here and that kind of thing." Right, so, right, right. Um, I'll put that in the uh, in the notes for you guys as well to have a read. Yeah, because
2: there was a there was a question that came up on the on the show on the on the on, the, on Spark Radio about um, the fact that we, we we're constantly putting stuff in you know, uh, crossing the border electronically, like, you know, like, like you just said with Dropbox and, and, uh, one password and things like that, or even using Google, Google services where, you know, they're, they're how the data stores are in the States, right? So we're crossing the border electronically, but th- this comes back down to sort of net neutrality too, in terms of, you know, what your rights are when you're crossing a border, physically crossing a border. Um, but, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what, what transpires with all this stuff. So hmm. unfortunately we're losing the, the can you
4: still carry on a laptop coming from Canada?
2: Yeah, you can. you can. And and they don't necessarily make you turn it on or open it, uh, unless you get pulled aside for a secondary inspection, right? So as this yeah, guy yeah. happened, right? But Apparently, uh,
4: there's there's a bunch of places in uh, presumably the Middle East and, and Europe where you're not allowed to carry on right, a, right. a laptop at all. Right. You, can, you can still bring it. You can check. But you have to that check. might
3: expand to all of Europe, I think, is the rumor, but it hasn't happened yet. Right. So really? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, it wasn't just an American
2: thing. It was it was uh, other borders. You're saying, right? No, I think
3: like flights no, no, from the Middle East. I think honest. it was the carriers. They said the Middle East carriers coming to the United States cannot. Oh, right, you Can't have right. a laptop. But I think they're going to expand that to say all flights coming from Europe. Like it doesn't matter who the carrier is. Can't um, you can't have a laptop in the cabin anymore? That hasn't happened yet, hmm. but I think that's the rumor that that's going to happen.
2: Well, on a lighter note, the Canadians coming back with Nexus cards no longer have to fill out those forms when they. To make declaration for I it.
3: know. That's so great. Because <laughs> going to the U.S., if you have global entry, you don't have to fill out the blue form. And now going back to Canada. You don't right. have to fill it out. So I'm looking well, forward to you don't have to, to fill the blue form going out? Oh, I, yeah, I noticed that. Oh, yeah, good. yeah. So both ways now. No more paper. I don't, awesome. need to, I don't need to bring a pen on my flight anymore. So I'm excited. <laughs> right, right. Cool.
4: Now, more importantly, can you still bring maple syrup? With you, well, it you has thought. to be a hundred
2: under hundred milliliters. Yeah. Yes, yeah, in, your, three ounces. in your yeah, plastic
3: yeah. bag, of course. But <laughs> otherwise, you have to check it and make sure to wrap it securely. And that's uh, yeah. true. That's true. Mm. I guess you could bring a big jug
2: of maple syrup. I think it's stopping you from doing that, right?
3: You have to check it, though. That's the only thing. And you know, if it's a glass container, you got to be careful. So yeah right 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 and be Mm. sure to declare it because it is food so check that on your that's true or if you don't have to fill in a declaration card remember to check it on the kiosk
2: because it is food right right Mm. good point so the last piece i have here in the in the follow-up is that apple plans according to mark german of bloomberg.com my apple is planning on upgrading the macbook pro line for WWDC. so they're coming out with a uh, the cur- the KB Lake processor, which is a much faster processor than what we have in there now. I forget what we have now, Skylake or something like that. They're talking about a new 12-inch MacBook, I think you were talking, Greg, or are you looking at
3: getting a, a Mac Pro uh, computer? They're going for the Pro. I do have the 12-inch, but I'm probably going to hold on to it, but I think I need a larger, more beefier computer as well. So I have a 13-inch right now, so I'm looking to upgrade. I don't know. Maybe I'll stick right. with a 13, maybe I'll get a 15. I'm still thinking about it.
2: Yeah, so the the leader here of the story, they mentioned Microsoft, who's just come out with a Surface laptop, which I know nothing about. Um, But yeah, so apparently Apple's been listening to the grumbling, I guess, of people about uh, the performance of their computers, and they're going to refresh them. That's pretty quick, though, because they only just came out with the uh, new Mac Pros in in the fall, right?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm curious about what the grumbling is. Is it that the performance, there wasn't enough of a performance boost with the Touch Bar models, or is it the Touch Bar itself? I feel like they... Couldn't have. They can't redesign the touch bar so quickly, though. But I'm just curious about no. what. What about the grumbling? Was it about you know only USB-C ports? Like what about the grumbling? Are they supposedly going to address with a June announcement? Yeah, still need a bag of dongles. So yeah. so
2: that's not going. the so ports aren't going away, and the touch, I believe the touch bar is still going to be there. But uh, there has definitely been some performance differences. But you know, to be honest with you, I've been using the Mac pro with the Touch bar a 15 inch one for uh, you know months and months now uh, i love the keyboard uh, i think aaron talked about the keyboard back when he got the first mac pro mac air no sorry what was it called the 12 inch MacBook. macbook yeah macbook with the little the little uh, low travel keys they're they're actually once you get used to them really great now i look at the old ones like sort of these ugly lozenges on my on my keyboard because I switch back and forth all the time. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I really am enjoying the uh, the Mac Pro. Um, and whether it compiles faster or slower or not, I don't know if maybe we're optimizing our Swift code better. You know, we're using Swift Lints and stuff like that now. So uh, compiling is still an issue, but most of our buildings are happening on remote servers as opposed to locally. So,
4: yeah. That's a MacBook Pro, right? You said Mac Pro.
2: Sorry, I meant MacBook Pro, yes. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, My yeah. bad.
4: Speaking of the Mac Pro, Greg, did we ever get a report back
3: from you on your
4: experiences with your
3: Mac Pro? Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, I don't have much to say. It is still as heavy as it is on the first day. So um, yeah, the density <laughs> density of that thing com- continues to impress me. Um, mm-hmm. Performance is there's definitely a boost. Yeah, I can't go into too many specifics about exact numbers or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I did do a side by side comparison of my 15-inch MacBook Pro. This is the previous generation, not the Touch Bar one, whatever it was before that, and the Mac Pro for compiling stuff. And uh, yeah, it is faster, maybe 30% faster. I'm just making up numbers here or making a percentage. Yeah. I think it was around 30%, though. So, um, but just based on like computer time, I would say yes, it's faster. Day to day use, a little bit hard to tell i it like it definitely feels faster but you know as i always say you can't trust human perception so i don't know if that's true (laughs) or not, but it feels faster and i still get once in a while the uh the macbook pro complains about you know your your computer is out of memory please force quit some things Uh, i would get that every once in a while and that has never happened on the on the mac pro because i think it's like 64 gigs or something like that so um, i haven't run into that so yeah overall feels faster and um during like a command line kind of xcode build compile is definitely you know bat with numbers to back it up faster so just on that alone i would say yes i'm happy with it the only thing is you know it's not so portable so yeah so using Xcode build, are you building in Xcode itself? or? Uh, yeah, I do both. But it's a little bit harder to test, you know, like get Xcode open on both machines and hit Command-B at the same time is a little bit... Right. Uh, right. It has its own issues and Xcode IDE stuff. So I, I wanted to try a command line build to kind of do the head-to-head comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. mm-hmm. Cool. I had one more thing about this this story. Um, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a long story, but there's, you know, a good number of paragraphs in this story about the MacBook Pro. And I feel like if all it is is a speed bump... Like, what? it doesn't really seem rumor-worthy or story-worthy. It's a little bit confusing to me. Um, <laughs> but all they <laughs> list is that, yeah, they'll boost performance. Refreshed MacBooks could win back disappointed loyalists is sort of the subhead there. And I don't quite understand how a speed bump effectively will do that. So that's why when I saw that subheadline, I was like, oh, it's going to be something, I don't know, make the keyboard have more travel or something, or put another port back, put an Ethernet port back on or something like that. But they're like, no, they're going to use the latest chips and it's going to be faster but that i don't know it's it something seems a little bit funny here either they really wanted to write a story so they wrote one or there's something more there that they couldn't talk about i don't know but i feel like if there's something they would say it so
1: look man the only way they're going to win back the loyalists is to fix the software at this point i don't even think it's a hardware thing i think it's a software thing I, i i agree with that i think they need yeah they 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 need to do more testing it is some of what they're releasing now is just so buggy that you're like really Ugh. and you gotta wait i mean you know i remember the days when you would get a mac and a new update would come out and you'd be like the first one there in line to to get the update and nowadays you're like the last one because you need to wait to see what breaks and is it going to break what you're working right, on right. and if not cool do the update Maybe if it doesn't break what you're working on, consider yourself lucky these days. And I don't know, I don't know at what point Apple kind of stopped doing as much testing. I, you know, I hate to say that they're not doing as much testing. I don't know what the issue is, but I know the issue exists that it's just people are not feeling as secure in the decision to move to Apple as they were five years ago. And I really, I, I want that to come back. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a diehard Apple fan. I'm not at any time going to switch to any other platform, but at the same time, I'm feeling like, come on guys, get your, stuff together. You know, let's, let's go back to the old days when a new update would come out and I'd be like the first one in line. Let's go back to the old days when even new, new hardware would come out and I'd be the first in line. Nowadays I had to wait until my phone broke and could, I I mean, I used a broken iPhone six for so long because I didn't want to switch to an iPhone seven. I, I, I didn't switch until I had to, and I don't like that feeling.
2: So circling back to the title of the story about the Apple laptop upgrades to take on Microsoft, yeah, was it sounds to like to that too, yeah. sounds like the big story is not so much us developers. Who, where are we? What are we going to do? We're going to go to some other platform? No, I don't think so. We're going to stick with Xcode. We're going to stick with you know the tools we're working with because we're we're married to the Mac or the Apple ecosphere. But I think that that maybe at the consumer level, um, a lot of people in the work you know, who would buy a what we consider a workstation computer are buying these. Microsoft's surfaces—they're going somewhere else. You know, uh, maybe that's what where Apple is sort of seeing um, some loss of market. Right.
1: Well, well, look. I mean, again, I don't, I don't have live television i have hulu i have netflix but when you look at the commercials even the commercials on on youtube you know when you go online you're seeing commercials for sprint and verizon and there was a time not too long ago where every commercial you'd see for one of those carriers for the phones for example it's all about apple get an iphone get an iphone get an iphone now what are you seeing hey check out this new android phone Right. You're seeing that more and more and more. And I believe the reason you're seeing that more and more is because people are like so fed up with Apple. I hear it all the time. You know, people are like, what do you recommend? I don't want to get another iPhone. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I have no idea. Cause that's what I'm using. You know, I, I'm really invested in the ecosystem. I don't have any intentions of of changing. So you all need to go make your own decisions because I'm not I'm not of any help there. But really, I hear that more and more, even with computers. Like my own children, my own son, he's off trying to figure out where he can go purchase Windows Ten because he's done. He's done. He's he's like I'm not using a Mac anymore. I'm like, dude, you're killing me. Really?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and one of my most loyal loyal uh, Apple fans. You know, um, he basically converted all his whole office to Macs. He, you know, told everybody to get iPads and iPhones and switched them all over. I spoke to him about six months ago, and yeah, he's off Apple. He's back to using it. I don't know what he's using Android or whatever, but but yeah, he's moved. He's been so disappointed, and especially even talking to Apple Care, he's been so disappointed by by what they do that that he's just completely abandoned the whole apple tool tool set altogether right but he's like a consumer he's like you know using word and office and excel and so on and so forth right at
1: the at the risk of having no class i'm gonna say it anyway but i need zombie steve back i really do <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, maybe this is the thing. The culture, I mean, culturally, um, Tim Cook was the just-in-time guy. He was in charge of, you know, um, getting getting all the bits and pieces into the people's hands, you know, in a timely manner. And maybe that's part of the philosophy of proper and good QA has gone out of Apple's work work uh, habit work style, right?
1: I don't know. I just want Steve.
2: Well, that, that last part doesn't really make sense to me
4: because uh, Tim Cook was an operations guy in there. Generally, more focused on things like QA and less focused on things like innovation and new and exciting things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, they need they need to get their stuff together because they're losing they're losing people who have at mac addresses in their email. I mean that's that's where they're at right now, and I don't have the answers. So,
4: what what are some of the issues that people are complaining about that's causing all well, this?
1: Uh, for me personally, as a consumer. You know, if, if I were to take development completely, completely out of the equation, like, okay, so I'm sitting there on my deck yesterday or not yesterday, but a couple days ago and I pull my, my phone out of my pocket and I go to use it and it's just, it's unresponsive. It doesn't, it doesn't want to do anything. It doesn't respond to taps. I'm like, really got to restart it. Well, guess what? Can't restart it if you can't touch it, right? It doesn't respond to anything and it's just Stuff like that. Even with the the computers, using the computers, there was a time using Apple platforms where I never had to restart. Now I'm having to shut, do a complete shutdown at least every other day. There's no reason for that. Mm. It's not like I'm doing anything really out of whack. And I'm not the only one who runs into that. You know, it's just, it's constant stuff. I get phone calls from people. Oh, my Mac doesn't do this. And like Tim, you, you had just mentioned it with the Apple care. I can't tell you how many times I will get friends of mine who I'm the one who converted them to Apple. Call me up and say, I talked to the people at Apple care and they don't know what the hell they're doing. Can you help me? <laughs> and I have to help them. I'm like, really? I, I don't have time to help you, but I'm not going to say no. Cause these are the people that These are my friends. These are people I turned on to Apple and now Apple care is not helping them. And now I feel like I'm left holding the bag and it's like, come on guys, get your stuff together. I know the company is great. I know they have it in them. I don't know what's been going on the past year and a half, but they've been slipping and they need to catch up. Can we move on? Yes. I'm sorry. Soapbox. So let's off.
2: <laughs> so let's talk about the exact opposite camp today. So today was Google's Google I.O.'s keynote in I don't know where they are, some tent in uh where are they located? Mountain in view. California, Mountain View, Mountain View. Right, right, right. I forgot the name of the place. We talked about it last year too. They're in the same place again, and this year they're handing out sunscreen because apparently everybody got burnt last year, uh, burnt by the sun or uh, burnt by the
3: announcements. You know, Get it? no,
2: <laughs> Get it? by the sun. Ah, it's so funny. Um, but anyway, so so Mark, it was it was a really interesting um, rollout of products because it was all. Centered around artificial intelligence, um, they've come out with they pretty much got AI everywhere. And I know uh, Jaime's been going on about uh, Google Home and all that kind of stuff. But one of the first products they announced this thing called Google Lens, which you basically can point your your phone at uh, your camera at something like a Chinese um, menu, and it'll it'll convert the it'll use artificial intelligence to uh, convert the language into English, so you can read what's on the menu, for instance, or if you wanted to get a configured from a router, they showed you know scanning a barcode and getting getting not not, not that it was a barcode reader, but getting the information about uh, the the SSID and uh, the passwords for uh, connecting to the devices. That was pretty cool. They've also have this other product called Google Assistant, which is, I guess, similar to Siri in a sense, right? It's, you can speak to it, ask it questions. It can do things like turn, you know, interface with the home. And that Google Assistant has also come out on iOS today, so it's basically on the iPhone. There's a Google, but of course, only in the United States. I might point out. I tried to try to download it myself today in Canada, but we can't do it up here. I think Jaime had sort of theorized that they might come out with uh, phone call uh, capability. Um, uh, they've added home calling to the home tool. Um, they went into great detail on, they actually talked about, uh, I don't know what TPU is, but it's some sort of, they have this new cloud data services, so data servers, they have these data centers and they've they built their own, um, boards to go into them. Something about TPU. Um, but the Google Photo AI is is kind of interesting in that it's similar. It's sort of similar to what we have on the Apple um, Photos app, where it can you know recognize faces, it can, can recognize groups, it does intelligent sharing. But another interesting point was uh, part of the the Google Android O operating system, which is now in beta. Today, it comes out in beta today. Um, one of the things that was interesting they talked about was a uh, they called it under the category of vitals, where developers can now get uh, information about the performance of the apps. Oh, there was another important thing about Google Play. The Google Play Store now has a thing called Google Play Protect, I believe it was called, they called it. And they're actually able to now scan applications on your phone to see whether or not they have malware in them or, not, or whatever mm-hmm. to protect your device, which is kind of a, that's a, something that's been needed on Android for a long time. Um, but the most important announcement that I thought was the fact that, um, Kotlin from JetBrains, they're now partnering with JetBrains, but Kotlin is now an officially, uh, what do you call it? First level language on, uh, Android development. So, uh, one thing I did mention was last week when I talked about, uh, Jorge Ortiz from, um, who did the training on clean architect. He taught us, uh, taught both the iOS and the Android group at the same time, but he was he brought up the subject of Kotlin and he he, he had thought he'd said at the time he really hoped that Google uh, would embrace Kotlin because it was a much better uh, languagey thing. And I think, Greg, you were
3: saying earlier before the show that um, it's sort of Swifty in a sense, right? It is very Swifty. You could look at the Hello World example and think it was Swift, except instead of Funk, they just say Fun, which is, of course, much more fun. Fun! And instead of Var, it's like Val. But you could just, if you not even squint your eyes, but you just look at some Kotlin and you can say, oh yeah, that's like Swift. Like with the colons and the uh, optional types with question marks and Things like that, so a lot, very, very many similarities between the two, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but I should note, Kotlin was released publicly before Swift. Just in case anybody thinks that uh, you know Kotlin copied Swift or something like that, uh, I believe that's not the case.
2: We we're wondering: is Kotlin open source? Or
3: it is now? Yeah, I think it was open source last year. I want to say, um, yeah, I think, um, yeah. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, and Kotlin was first released in uh, 2011, so a long time ago. And, um, yeah, I think it was open source last year.
2: Right, yeah. The, the link in the show notes here I have has got a video from The Verge, which basically, you know, in ten minutes they, they you know, they distill the, the keynote down to the, the main points. Mm. Um, it's actually worth the look. Mark. it's, it's uh, quite interesting what they're doing with the AI over at Google. Um, Greg, you have some, you've got some IO picks here on your. Um,
3: I do. I should the, uh, uh, correct myself right away and say, uh, sorry. Kotlin was open sourced a year after. I didn't mean a year ago. A year after, it in 2012, it was open sourced. So, uh, Greg regrets the error there. Um, I did have some specific picks about IO. I just made a list. I was mostly thinking like, what would be interesting as an iOS developer? Because I don't really do Android or anything like that, or I'm not so much in the Google ecosystem. So my four Google IO picks are, or I shouldn't use the word picks, selections, highlights are, uh, one was Kotlin, because that's kind of interesting that they've made it a first class language. And so maybe similar to when Swift was released, and they were thinking there would be a new flood of um, iOS and Mac developers coming onto the platform. So, maybe similarly, releasing Kotlin will make um, Android development a little more palatable. Palatable to more people. More accessible, people? yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, it is a much. Nicer language. And very similar to the Apple to the Apple case, uh Google has said that Kotlin is sort of an addition. It's additive. It's like, yes, you can we Kotlin is now fully supported or will be fully supported on Android, but Java and sort of the native development kit C that stuff is still there and it's not going anywhere, they say. So it's an addition, uh, which is kinda nice. Uh, I think the interop is a little bit Better, though, compared to the sometimes acrobatics you need to do going from Swift to Objective-C and back and forth. I think Kotlin is a little cleaner in that sense. Um, so, yeah, again, someone who knows more can uh, can chime in here. <laughs> but uh, that was one of my picks. <laughs> New language, always very interesting thing. Um, the second thing I had was improvements to the Firebase product, which I think Google really likes the name Firebase. So, originally, as the name suggests, was a database product and now has all kinds of things. Um, so, one of the things was Firebase will... Firebase and Fabric. I think Fabric is going to be folded into the Firebase umbrella. Uh, so Fabric was, you know, Crashlytics and the Digit service for authentication and right, a whole bunch right. of other stuff. Um, so as part of that, they will have things like uh, like a alpha program where you can distribute apps. I think out to like your t- kind of like test flight kind of a thing. Um, and then, uh, or sorry, not not like test flight, but like they will have an alpha. Alpha features of Firebase will sort of be available. You can sign up to get new features as they come in. And uh, it's kind of interesting how Google sort of... Has everything under one umbrella. They're like, we have Firebase. It's a database product and it syncs to the cloud. And um, it includes now Crashlytics is in there. And, you know, they have the distribution and all of the stuff that's improving. And it's sort of all owned by Google. Whereas on the Apple side, including like AdMob and things like that as well. Whereas on Apple, they're like, no, we're not going to do ads anymore. They bought, they acquired TestFlight. So I don't know. It seems like the two are reaching. Almost parity where Apple's like, "Yes, you can now distribute beta through Test Flight." Uh, they don't have the ads product anymore. Apple is still missing like an analytics product, which again Google offers because like Google Analytics is available on iOS as well. So it's just interesting. Well, to they do have
4: the the App Store analytics, which may have been their first. That's true. Bore into that area. And it's, That's true. It, 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 it wouldn't be. I can't imagine it would be too much of a stretch just to just add an an API to that where you could log events and it would show up in the same. Connect.
3: Yeah. I mean, Google is uh, traditionally very much place. like, you know, I guess as a, their foundation is a, uh, an ads company. It's like, yes, of course we need analytics and everything. But that's yep. one thing that I know that Apple doesn't offer. Whereas I think part of Firebase now is they mm-hmm. even do like an A-B testing framework. If you want to run an experiment, then you can use Firebase to sort of log, are you in the A group or the B group and have logic in your app to kind of toggle between the two. Um, mm-hmm. So that, and I would say AdMob are the two, big things sort of uh i guess AdMob isn't in fire under the firebase umbrella but those are the things that sort of google as the platform owner provides to android that apple doesn't yet but you know you can use maybe maybe in a few
4: weeks we'll be maybe in a few weeks we'll be looking back on this conversation and saying oh greg you were prescient about these
3: things there's yeah uh, maybe yeah
4: have now been announced at wwc
3: yeah so the other thing is that um all this firebase stuff like a lot of it is supported on ios as well and so they're you know, opening up to iOS, I think there's better support for Swift and that kind of thing. So, uh, and also a lot of the Firebase SDKs are now going to be open source. So that's exciting because um, hmm. again, as part of Swift support, maybe it was a necessity because of the whole um, ABI stability and providing binary frameworks, but Firebase SDKs now open source. So it'll be much easier to include into your own app, which was, uh, which is kind of cool um number three i'll try to go through these more quickly number three was the um google jobs search or google for jobs i think is the title for it uh, so it's kind of like you know if you're it, i think if you're on google.com and you start searching for like a software engineer job in mountain view then google back like, oh my god you're looking for a job and then they have like a special set of search results for that kind of thing so google slowly moving into the I would say the, the bigger picture is that Google is going to try to see what you're searching for and then offer customizations. And the first thing that they're going for is jobs. But you can imagine if you start searching for like uh, a model of car, then they might take you to like, you know, car dealerships or something. I don't know I'm just making this stuff up, but it seems like they're going for an even smarter search. And so going with jobs is kind of an interesting first choice. And then they'll have like filters to say, are you, you know... I think they have things like, you know, they'll try to limit by your commute and limit by geography and limit by, I guess, all other things like um, salary range or something like that. I think the previous thing I can remember was Google Flights. When you, like, Google for, um, you know, AA 737 or whatever, then it'll say, oh, that looks like an American Airlines code and they'll show you the flight status. So Google has sort of done this before. But it's just interesting to me that they're kind of expanding that smart search into more into more things. Also using, I assume, some kind of AI or machine learning to kind of scrape job postings and come up with stuff. So, and I flag that as something of interest to the people here and the audience because you know software developers are always looking for jobs, aren't they? So now Google is going to be <laughs> superpowered to do that. Um, well, yeah. And the last thing I had was um, TensorFlow Lite, so something Mark will be interested in. Uh, so traditionally, you know, when you're training your machine learning models you I don't think you know mobile devices aren't powerful enough to do that stuff so you have to kind of train the model and then put the giant binary blob onto your phone and then deal with it there somehow and so Google's kind of taking the first step to saying, well, maybe eventually, you know, mobile devices will catch up and we will be able to do more training and more sort of heavy processing on device. And so they're bringing a light version of TensorFlow, which is their sort of, you know, server class hardware for machine learning related things that I don't know very much about. But they're introducing TensorFlow Lite to say, all right, we're going to have some of this running on the phone. Again, not the training, because that's very computationally heavy and intensive to do but they're starting to bring that onto the device and so as devices get better there'll be more and more stuff that you can do because they're going to have the api sort of available right on there
2: sure and that TensorFlow or tensor processing units is, is what the tpu that i couldn't remember stands for oh that's what it is um, okay okay yeah so and so, so they're having these these uh, boards with four t- tpu chips on them and that's part of what's what uh Powers the back end of of their their AI soft, AI stuff in the data centers. So, mm. whether it's photos or uh, and, and it's, it's kind of interesting because I mean, you know, do, Google offered that photo service, but now we're kind of sort of seeing why because they were using all of that to teach their systems how to uh, how to you know read faces and group photos together and things like that, or or say what the photo is of. Yeah as well as you know the AI for translating there's one guy who's who's showing the they, they also talked about Google Go or sorry Android Go which is a low power System load-powered operating system that will run on cheaper phones because apparently they're making great grounds in India with, with inexpensive devices. Um, and he was showing how he doesn't speak Hindi, but he was actually able to type Hindi phonetically and it would automatically convert it into proper Hindi text. And then he was also able to um, say uh, or type in English what he wanted to say and it would convert it to to uh, Hindi text. And he was, he was texting his aunt in India, you know, at the same time as he was actually on stage demoing this so hmm. so clearly it works right so
4: so t- tensorFlow is actually it's a it's a library or a set of libraries mm-hmm. that Google offers for doing right machine learning which these days means massive neural networks uh, which which means uh, that you're doing huge amounts of, of matrix math and manipulations behind the scenes to to analyze these these neural networks with a huge amount of data so uh, that type of calculation, the matrix manipulations, uh, work really, really well on parallel type of, of uh, programming or, or uh, computing environments, GPUs, uh, the kind of stuff that you know NVIDIA does or, or uh, AMD, where you can do... We've talked about this before, actually, where instead of doing all of your calculations sort of sequentially in a row... You can take a whole bunch of calculations that are really kind of independent from each other and run them in parallel on these special machines that have, in, instead of just one CPU, they have the capability of doing a huge number of things in parallel, simpler things, uh, and, but a lot more of them with the restriction that they, the calculations are doing in parallel can't depend on each other. So, for doing this matrix stuff, it's very simple to break it up into a, a huge number of parallel computations. You send them off to the special chip. You get the results back much quicker. and Just have to assemble them. It's way, way faster than trying to do that same kind of math on just a CPU, where you have to do each piece of the calculation sequentially. So, so, uh, so that's what the TPU is. There, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's kind of well. I'm sort of guessing here because uh, uh, I don't know all details, but but uh, it's it's kind of like a GPU where it's just this right, massively yeah. parallel compute parallel computing chip uh, that's that's optimized for doing these matrix manipulations that are that are the backbone of of all the machine learning work.
2: Right. Right. Yeah, so they're building on, I mean, it's amazing to see what they've done, you know, going from even improving the Google search assistance or Google search itself, right? Uh, using all this yeah. AI that they've got going. They talked about VR and, and AR, but, uh, I had to, I had to skip out of that part of the, the keynote, so I didn't really catch much of that. But, but, uh, yeah, those were the highlights of, uh, a very interesting day from, uh, from, um, the folks who bring us Android, right? So yeah, yeah, and,
4: yeah. Machine learning and, and neural networks and all that are, are pretty much the hottest thing in tech right now. At least in Silicon Valley. Right. If you yeah. if you are coming, you know, coming out of school looking for a job or something, learn a little bit of machine learning, and and you're in. Or if you're if you're doing a startup that's looking for funding, make sure you mention machine learning, and,
1: <laughs> hmm. and uh, you'll,
4: you'll have a much better chance of getting funding. Yeah. It really, really is the you know the, the hot thing right now.
2: All right. Cool. So the last thing we have in our, in our uh, list of uh, main topics is uh, what's new in Swift 4.0. So there was a, an article that was produced uh, earlier this week, I guess a couple of days ago, maybe yesterday, um, that uh, many of us read. And it sort of uh, distills down some of the new features coming out in Swift 4.0. Uh, I'm not sure when that's coming out, but um, you know, encoding and decoding are sort of first-class citizens in, in the Swift world now. Um, so we have now codable protocol did we have Codable, pro, codable Protocol? I'll ask the protocol guy. Greg,
3: before, or is this, this is new, right? It kind of serializes to um, JSON, I think. We did have like NS Coding, oh, but that okay. uses, right. used um, NS Keyed Archiver, and it you know, it was a binary, or I don't know if it was binary, but it was some kind of plist format. Um, so yeah, now it's going to uh, JSON, I think. Oh, directly to JSON, that's cool. I yeah, think so. I haven't, I haven't looked at the details, but uh, I think that's the idea.
2: Yeah, and they have a new multi line literal. Um, using three quotation marks, you can have multiple lined uh, strings uh, that will uh, work as a literal. That um, is
1: what I am most excited about, which sounds weird, but it is a true story.
2: So, why is that, Tammy?
1: I, I use it all the time. There's everything I do has multi-line, and it's, I'm so sick of seeing slash n. So. <laughs> oh,
2: really? Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really happy about this. When I saw this, I was like, yeah, Oh, so win. The,
2: the slash n is now implied, like it'll be able to deal with that? Like if you type out a, bo- a block of copy, like in the example they have here, it'll see those as soft returns? Is that what I'm that's, hearing?
1: that's what I'm reading. I don't know that that's true. I haven't tried it myself, but yeah, that that's what I gather.
2: Cool. They've, uh, another thing they've done is they've improved key paths and key value encoding. So the, the example to give here is of a couple of structs and building um, instances of them. Um, and am I reading this correctly, that, Greg, that it's saying that uh, now to access uh, a value from one of these guys, I can use slash and then starship.name or slash starship.warp. Yeah, it's a little funny.
3: Warpers. In the old world, you would do hash key path which was kind of, I think, introduced just last year. And now the idea is kind of using the... I think when they discussed it, um, I think when the proposal came up and they were still arguing about the syntax and the idea was a backslash is like the escape character, right? That means whatever follows this is not actually like backslash n. It doesn't actually mean n. It's special. That means a new line, Tammy's favorite uh, character. Mm -hmm. So the idea here is like when I say backslash my object dot my property i am not actually referring to the property i'm like it's like a meta reference i'm referring to the property itself not the value of the property and so that's the kind of reasoning behind it you can check out the swift evolution proposal for or the approval post for the details but that was the thinking behind it was that you're not accessing the property you're referring to the property and that's why they use the backslash escape character Uh, it's also much shorter than typing hash sure, e-path. yeah, and so yeah. Uh, I think they were going for brevity as well, so I don't know it still looks a little weird to me. I wasn't a big fan of it when it was announced, but I'm sure we'll all uh, we'll all get used to it Mm-hmm.
2: They've also added improved dictionary functionality that's like if you're using um filter or map and stuff like that on a dictionary in Swift three, you don't get back a dictionary, you get some other kind of values, and um
3: now they're returning able to return dictionaries if I'm reading this correctly. Mm-hmm. Dictionaries yeah. are actual collections now, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm cool. being sarcastic in case anybody thinks they aren't collections. But they are, of course, collections. <laughs> yes.
2: Well, it also says that strings are collections again, which... They are, yeah.
3: There's a nice segue. I thought strings were strings were arrays in Swift 3
2: and 2 and mm, whatever, right?
3: Well, they were like, you know, collections of character views or something like that. Right. If Cars, you yeah, asked yeah, for it. Yeah. Sorry, there were different views. There's a UTF-8 view and a character view and that kind of thing but i think in swift 1 you could use the collection ish functions on strings and then that went away in swift 2 or 3 and yeah now they're back hmm, cool
2: and i didn't uh, i didn't read the last one about the one-sided ranges do you do follow that one greg
3: yeah of course that's um i think is this like Python-ish syntax? I think the multi-line string literals are similar, um, but it's sort of a common thing where you say uh, the third, a string example is always good. The third character to the end, like get rid of it. Whereas before you'd have to say three dot, 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 you know, or dot, dot, I don't know. I've gotten off by one fence post error here, but you do three dot, dot, less than or whatever, uh, string dot length, let's say. And that's how you would cut it from a certain point to the end. And so now you can just say three dot, 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 close brackets, and it, that means from to the end so it's just the kind of shortcut syntax and you can do the yeah other that way. is a python thing yeah you can do the other way as well it, it's kind of useful it yeah. is it's it's like syntactic sugar it's not like you couldn't do it before mm-hmm. you could just you'd have to say zero dot 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 three now you can just say dot 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 three is the idea um right so it's just uh, again it's very common in other languages like python other scripting kind of kind of languages as well so they're just bringing it here
2: cool Mm-hmm. So that's what's new in Swift three four so far. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I guess that brings us to the uh, highlight of the show, the Picorama, Except Jaime's right? not here. That Jaime's not here. Yeah. Well. Oh, oh well. So who wants to go first? Who's got a pick? Tim, got do a pick? you have a pick? Well, I do, but I'll I'll go last. Oh, okay. Do you want me to go first? I go first. I don't know. Your first. So my in the pick list. is very. That's si- why I'm asking. My pick is very simple. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, so my pick is uh, a very simple one, um, and it's timely because uh, I actually. Uh, Strangely enough, Matt Lutkey tweeted out earlier. Is that how you say his name, Greg? I think it is, right? I, I think so. Uh, yeah, he uh, he's our uh, Android lead over at raywunderlich dot com, and uh, he tweeted out uh, just after I posted my ask MTG MTGJC question, tongue firmly planted in cheek, uh, that um, and no coincidence, of course, that Ray Wunderlich does in fact have an introduction to Kotlin on Android tutorial uh, for those of you who are interested in uh, what's going on, and it's been there since the last fall, so it's uh, timely in light of what we were just talking about with uh, respect to Google I/O announcements. So get over there and learn Kotlin. It's my pick. Crickets. I hear crickets.
4: I'll have to check that out. <laughs> that
2: was I wasn't looking for any comments. That's a, that's fine. Oh, okay. They uh, um, just you know wanted a grunt or something. Uh, Tammy, do you have a pick? Mm. <laughs> Tammy, do you have a pick?
1: I do have a pick, uh, toggle time tracking app. You can do it on your iPhone, Android device, web. It's fantastic. You can set up projects and clients. Uh, I really like it. They have a free, uh, tri- I don't even think it's a trial. I think you can, I think it's all free. I just started using it. I won't lie. Uh, so I don't know too much about it, but what I've, what I've seen i really like it's T O G G L. so i've been pronouncing it toggle i hope that's right
2: mm-hmm. sounds about right sounds about right
1: now interesting al- enough um the reason i like it is because it's tied to this dude that does some really funny comics I'm really to, yeah i'm trying to get the uh the link here
2: i don't know if uh, it's true or not but it says down at the bottom most productive togglers are in toronto oh yeah they're just geolocating more- you tim oh bastards
3: I don't know. Let me click on it and see what it tells me. Is this on the homepage?
2: Yeah. Well, on the pri- on the bottom of the pricing page. Because they do have a, um, a uh, subscription-based version as
3: well. Mine says most do- productive toggles are in Mor- Moraga, wherever that is. It is somewhere in California. Moraga. Maybe hmm. I'm... Uh, am I on the VPN? No, I'm not. But that is across in the... in I think in the east it Bay, is... Uh... So I think they're geolocating you, Tim. It's too bad. But Moraga was in the North Bay. Uh, no, it's like wrong, east though. of Berkeley. Oh, Okay. So
2: Tammy, this is an online service. Is that how it works?
1: Yeah, it is an online service. And uh, like I said, I just started using it not too long ago. I I was using something else, which I won't go into what I was using, but I've been using this now for a little while and I'm really digging it. Um, I think what really draws me to it, like if (laughs) I've got it playing in my ear now, so it's kind of distracting, but they have this uh, toggle.com slash startup. Dash Simulator, and uh, I, I mean, I just I I really dig the company because they're creative, right? And mm-hmm. everybody in the company seems to be creative, and it's not just like another oh here's another timesheet app. Right, no, right. they they really make it a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to drop this link here in the in the Skype chat so you can see it, and then you're never you're not going to pay attention because you're going to be sitting here playing the game. Right, right. Um, but yeah, check it out. It's definitely worth the five minute look and then the, uh, future long commitment.
2: Yeah. It looks like here I'm looking at the pricing pages, the free version it lets you do all the sort of tracking bits and pieces you want to do. But when you get into reporting, you get a, oh, maybe sorry. There is some, some reporting at the bottom. Yeah. I was telling Tammy before the show started that I wrote, I wrote my own web app for time management years and years ago. And, um, I switched over to a product called time, which I was one of my picks way back when, but, uh, This might be worth a look. All right.
1: Well, this one's got like a timer and stuff. I mean, you can you can set manual times and hit a timer. They have a desktop app. I mean, they got a lot of stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, Greg, have at you. I actually had something to comment on Kotlin that I should have said before. You can edit this in or take it out. But um, one one thing I was going to mention was uh, Kotlin is wasn't invented by Google. It was invented by JetBrains, brains i think right so it's like a third party yes, yeah, language yeah. that they've brought into the ecosystem just thought that was kind of interesting again as the anti-apple whereas apple said we're going to develop this thing in-house we're going to hire all the LLVM compiler people folks and have them work for us and build it all sort of from the ground up whereas google's approach is more like hey this is cool language out here that people seem to like let's just make it a first class yeah. of this and bring it in so it's kind of interesting in the in the strategy difference between the two um
2: so yeah, yeah i did i did mention during the i think during my bit that um JetBrains yeah. and Google are partnering together. Yeah. And uh JetBrains of course are the people who bring Android
3: Studio to Android so that makes uh mm. makes sense. Yeah, that's true. It's not like they went like totally left field and just got some random company with a language, but they already have a relationship with JetBrains and they happen to have a really cool language to uh bring along with them. So, good for them. All right. To my pick. So, my pick this week is related to what Tim was talking about with the What's New in Swift 4 article. So, um Ola I don't know how to pronounce his name. I apologize. Who's one of the authors of advanced Swift. That's from the obviously.io, uh, Chris Adolph and friends. And so he released on GitHub, a Xcode playground that shows off, uh, sort of right in the playground, you can see for yourself the new features of Swift 4. So, of course, you, so the link is in the show notes. You can download the playground, look at the GitHub page. But, of course, you're thinking, I don't have Swift 4. I have Xcode right. 8.3.2. What am I supposed to do? So you can, you can go to Swift.org and go to the downloads page, and you can download, um, I don't know how often, but every once in a while when everything passes the test suite, they will release a sort of binary installer of Swift 4.0 in testing, of course. And so you download it from Swift.org, you run the installer, and then when you go to your Xcode, you open Xcode, you go to Preferences, and then the Components tab, you go to Tool Chains, and then you can select whether you want to use the built-in Swift, that'll be like Swift 3.1 or whatever, or if you want to use... A snapshot that you've downloaded so again once you run this swift 4 installer then swift 4 will start showing up in your tool change and then you can kind of swap between them so if you download the snapshot you select it and then you open this playground then you can navigate through and it's very well formatted with pages and text and everything links to the swift evolution pages so really really well done and you can go through each page and see exactly what the differences are. And again, since you'll be running Swift 4 in the Playground if you've downloaded and installed it, you can then play around with it and kind of compare... Um, you know what you know about Swift 3 and see Swift 4 in action so that's another cool thing about having these snapshots which is not new for Swift 4 they've always had snapshots on the page that you could download to kind of see what they're up to Um, but now that Swift 4 is going to be nearing release and they've kind of cut the branch um, so they're going to be coming up with these releases more often so it's a nice way to get a preview of what's going to come up in Swift 4 and then that way when you're at WWDC at the platform State of the Union or whatever and they talk about what's new in Swift 4 you already know because it's open source and you've even already played around with it and seeing all the new syntax, so that's my pick. It's this really cool playground showing in action what's new in Swift four.
4: But what if I want to write run that on
3: playgrounds on an iPad? I don't believe that's possible. Can I do that? I don't no, think possible. No, because no, no, okay. you can't install a toolchain. You cannot right. install a toolchain on on iPad. So you got to uh, you got to use your real computer for that. Not an iPad. You got to use a real computer for that, Mark.
2: Yeah, it's kind of it's interesting. I was going to ask you when you were going through that, how you protect your existing Swift install. I, so can you use this on the command line Swift as well when you've got the snapshot loaded? or do I you know? I
3: think so. I think if you pick it, you have to go... In, I, I don't know if there's a way to do it from the command line, but if you're in Xcode and you select the snapshot, then I believe from then on, if you do command line builds, it will use the snapshot version. Right, right. Uh, I'd I have to dig it up, but there was an article talking about how that works. Um, but yeah.
2: Yeah, in his screenshot here, you can see he's got Swift 2.2.1 as well, Snapshot. So I guess if you want to go back and check some legacy code out, you could do that as well? Like is legacy Swift?
3: Uh, I don't know how well that's supported. But yeah, he does have Swift 3.0 and yeah 2.2.1 Snapshot. It does have that little warning icon next to it in the screenshot, though. So I think if you go too far back, it might get angry with you because there's probably a minimum requirement or maybe like a maximum requirement where that snapshot is is expecting like Xcode 7. And if you put it into Xcode 8, maybe things won't work properly. Um, So I'm not sure sure I would try that. But it obviously installs and it's there, but it does have that warning. So I'm not quite sure what that means.
2: Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's
3: cool that you can do that kind of stuff. Neat. Mm -hmm. Just don't forget to set it back to Xcode 8. Three point two. when you are done and you're actually compiling on your, you're compiling your production code again. Cause that's right. kind of like turning on the network link conditioner. It's uh, very yeah. easy to set it and yeah. get it. So don't forget. Well, I was going
2: to gonna say that. too, you could also preview what you're, what you're going to have to deal with when, when you make your migration to Swift four, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Like there's
3: no, I, the migrator won't work, but you can at least turn on Swift right. four pre-release and just build your application and see what happens and see what warnings you get um, and that kind of thing. Cool. All right. I guess that's it. Hmm. Episode one forty four in the can. That's a gross. Pretty much, it's a special number too. I should have. I was going to say know, at it's the top of the 12 show. Twelve times twelve, exactly. But uh, I didn't. So it's a square. Well, why number. do
2: you? Yeah, why do you think it's? A special it's kind number? of a gross number, don't you? Yeah, that's
3: what I said. I said it's a gross. Uh. <laughs>
2: Oh, you guys are so funny it's 12 dozen right <laughs> yeah yeah and see yes, for yes, me course. it was a significant so, yeah. number because you know back in grade two when we were learning multiplication ti- we had to learn times tables I don't know if you guys went through that nonsense but of we course. only learned them yeah. up to
3: 10 though I think I think 12 was we good learned by, by 12 by 12 by 12 12
2: by 12 was it was our yeah. our our yeah. threshold there's so one over four by dollars, my that day. Is,
3: so we only did 10. But, so that was the maximum number that you had to know, know then, huh? 144? Pretty much, yeah. In my
2: seven-year-old brain, that was, that was infinity, right? Yeah. 144, right? It was like as big as the biggest things got,
3: right? Yeah. So, so it's a good number. <laughs> I'm glad I'm here for this episode. Yeah. It's, it's, it's auspicious, as they say. You so guys Greg, are
1: a bunch of squares. So, <laughs> uh,
2: Greg. But bum <laughs> So, Greg, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where do they look? They should go to Twitter. I am at Greg Heo. And Tammy, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look?
1: I am also on Twitter at Paradox927.
2: All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. I'm at MarkR at SmapSoft.com
4: or at SmapSoft if you have to use Twitter.
2: If you must. If you must. If you must. All right. And as I said at the top of the show, I'm Tim Mitra and I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter. And I guess that's it for the week. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.
0: This has been another wonderful episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes for each episode. We list links to the items we talk about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. All of these things help others find out about the show, and we really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We are also on Twitter and Facebook. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at mtjc You can also support the show by pledging any amount you want on patreon.com mtjc. Thanks again for listening. We'll
2: see you next time. Right, Tammy, you have to duck out.
1: Yeah, I gotta duck
2: out. Oh wait, you sent me a cartoon.
1: I did. No, <laughs> I couldn't get my I couldn't get my thoughts together. But yeah, no, those um, the folks at Toggle, man. The, one of the reasons I really like them is because they are really creative. And I can't think of the guy's name who does those cartoons, but he he does them and they're funny. Saving sa- how to save the princess in eight programming languages. Oh, nice.
3: Oh, I remember yeah, this. So, so these are the guys who did that. <laughs>
1: yeah that's awesome. yeah i don't i remember seeing the cartoon
3: as i didn't i didn't know who uh who was behind it it's nice. them okay, cool it's
1: them yeah so anyway i gotta duck out thank you so much for inviting me you fun. Welcome. Thanks, thanks for coming
3: having... sorry i
4: i was late and kept everybody late
1: that's all right i'll, I'll yeah. curse you in my sleep tonight you're fine okay bye all right cheers
3: but i right. just like this cartoon because they include lisp which is nice
4: oh this keep track of time it's thing, the
3: last the i know cartoon. the previews are horrible it's the last one though the most recent one yeah how did you say the princess oh, okay. sure. programming i, we I have seen this cartoon before like i don't know when but a while back um does this look familiar mark have you seen this i don't think i've seen this oh, but it looks it's really cool. good <laughs> you should take the time to read through it it's really
4: good the first line is making fun of javascript so i approve. yeah you're in <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> Yeah, lots of little details like the JavaScript guy. You know, he's like holding a coffee and a and a cigarette. It's just like lots of little details (laughs) like that. It's just really
4: good. Spend hours picking libraries, setting up Node, and building a framework for the castle. And by the time you're done, it's it's been knocked over. Right? Nice summarizing. See.
2: Yeah, so we're we're going to be doing um, T-shirts again this year, and I set up a campaign on Teespring. Although it wasn't quite successful last year. Because I think if you if you're short one T-shirt, they cancel the program. But I set that up for the people in Europe. But we're gonna get, I'm gonna get some printed here locally, like I did last year, and then I will um, have people just order them directly from us, and we'll ship them out to them.
3: Oh, cool! What's the so, what yeah. does the T-shirt look like? You can have a link in the it's notes, the- but uh, it's an audio medium. Describe the T-shirts to us.
2: Yeah, so we basically we um, tongue fully, firmly planted in cheek. This is to commemorate our our world tour of 2017, <laughs> uh, which includes such highlights as San Francisco, Cupertino, San Jose. Uh, where were you, Melbourne? Uh, yeah, right? yeah. Melbourne made this the t shirts. Tennessee, uh, and we're gonna be we're gonna be uh, concluding in Denver, where Jaime and I are doing a talk on uh, which Greg had a hand in writing the just the. Uh, outline for but it's called um, becoming a better developer through talking and talking about our experiences of what the podcast has done for us, and about communicating and slacking and peer review and that kind of stuff, and how you know, yeah, I think there it, was a, keeping in touch with other developers,
3: yeah, yeah. There was a joke I think in the. Do we have a Twitter thread or do we have an iMessage? No, I think it was a Twitter thread that the MTJC mm-hmm. hosts have, and there was something about like I forget. You guys are... I think I was bringing up how 360iDev is like the spiritual home of the podcast because you guys all right, met yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's separate. Separate editions, but that was kind of the genesis of the podcast. Well, I, yeah, I initially met Jaime in
2: 2011 yeah. at uh, at the first uh, one. Of the, I think one of the first uh, ones I went to. Yeah, uh, maybe 2012 because I met Mark the year before. And I think I met Ray at that at one of the, at 360 IDF as well. Yeah, that sounds uh, right, face to face. Yeah, and so yeah, I mean I've been to other co- talks where he was there, and um, of course you, I met here in Toronto. That's true. But uh, then I uh, met Jaime in 2014 at
0: at 360i oh, right that was weird. the first
2: time the three of us were together right so so and mark you were going to be coming along with our extra ticket that we have Is that the plan
4: uh not confirmed yet but uh i will make
2: every attempt to
3: yes so it's yeah. like the mtjc reunion tour so if you're going to 360i <laughs> this year then there's there there's the idea we have enough hosts on the show to start without mark right <laughs> do we have a quorum i think we do
2: a quorum a quorum of hosts is that, what we call, is that what you call a multiple group of hosts?
3: No, you know, quorum, like the minimum. Yeah, I
2: see what you're saying, yes. Hey, um, do you remember, I was telling somebody about this at work, I think. I think it was at work. There used to be a Canadian law. I think it's if eight people assemble... In any one location, it can be. Is
3: a Canadian law that
2: says that's a riot and can be broken up. Have you ever heard that one? <laughs>
3: I think that's the, uh, like, the, uh, as the name suggests, the Riot Act, which yeah, I think yeah, is maybe. still on the books. And then the justice of a, so a peace officer says, you know, everyone in the name of the Queen, you have to disperse. And then, um, is that eight or more? Um, I don't know what the. I think it's are. I think
2: it's around eight or twelve. But something, it's something. It's actually a pretty low number when you think about it, right? Uh, so twelve is what s- it <laughs> says on Wikipedia.
1: <laughs> in the south, we just call it the start of a keg party.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, twelve. Yeah.
3: It's not just the number though. Like if you if there's just twelve people, then it's not like oh this is a ri-, like it has to be like twelve unruly people or something like that.
2: Oh, we have yeah. to be saying go habs go or something like that in Dun- Young Dundas Square. Pretty that, much that would cause a riot. Pretty much. Then yeah. you can
3: read okay. them the Riot Act. Which right. I believe is still, no, that's like a real thing. I believe it's still um, on the books in Canada too. So, yeah.
2: No, I because I remember in high school we studied law, right? And, and I remember that being, the, I think the teacher took great joy in telling us about that one. So that was one of the more ridiculous Canadian laws that's still on the books, right?
3: Well, yeah. So much of it is tradition, but I think this one is actually, um, you know, on the books. Yeah. Well,
2: yeah. That, that's how they keep us under control, right? You know? I suppose. We just say sorry and go home. Do you have a pick? Oh, whoops! My
1: mistake. Picks?
3: I guess I could make this my pick too. What?
2: What's that? Oh, the playground?
3: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, make sure. the playground okay. your pick. I am digging this stuff in Swift Four, by the way. I'm just okay. reading through the article Wait, now. W-
3: oh, yeah. I thought you were. Uh, I thought you were uh, no, no, using no no d-
1: No, no, no. I'm just. I'm looking through it.
3: See if there's any surprises here. I've been sort of keeping track of the Swift have evolution. So just curious. Prepared to see more anything. for
1: this show, but I was. Uh, I was watching another. I was watching a TV show all by myself. In the dark.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, what right. was it? The ranch. The ranch, and mm, what what is that? Like the dressing? Netflix? How can that be a TV show?
1: No, Netflix original. <laughs> okay, so I am in love with Sam Elliott, and he's in the show. Oh, well, so. that
2: that goes without saying, of course, right? Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> Seriously. Wait,
2: wait, Sam Elliott. There is two. There is two. I always get those two guys mixed up. There is Sam Elliott. Is he the guy that wrote Lobster Man years and years ago? I think so. No. And
1: did he? Yeah. No, did yeah. not well, a so, writer. Okay.
2: So here's the story. Here's the story.
1: Wait, now I'm it up. No. he's Sam no.
2: Elliott, right? He's not. Who's the guy, who's the guy that's in that, that, uh, the cowboy and the dude? You know, the guy with the big mustache and the real deep south voice there? Talks to the dude at the bowling alley.
1: Oh, I don't know. Come on, know. work
2: with me. Man.
1: I don't think he writes any books. Anyway, I've so only ever known him as I'm an actor. pretty
2: sure it was Sam well see this is the this is this is the thing, right? Okay, remember we had Rick Sarabia on Tall
1: skinny guy with a mustache. Who? Sam Elliott. No,
2: we had. Oh, but you know, we had Rick Sarabia on Rick Sarabia. I think he calls On roundabout, right? Anyway, so back in the day when we were when we were uh, we were working together, like at university, Rick put on a play by Sam Elliott called Lobster Man. No. And my friend Silvio Oliviero, who's now changed his name to something like a Mark Michael Marin or something like that. Anyway, but he's you know been on TV and commercials and stuff as well here in Toronto. But he played the Lobster Man. He had this great big lobster suit that he had to wear on the show, and I did the posters for Lobster Man. Right. So that that's uh, that's my connection to Sam Elliott, and and no, I always got Sam Elliott not, and this other no, guy it's not mixed the up.
1: Same guy.
2: I'm sure it is Tammy. I'm looking it up.
1: Oh. Sam Elliott, the guy from Roundhouse.
2: Hang on, Sam Elliott. As I said, I'm, there's two. There's yeah, that's the guy I'm saying. I get those guys mixed up. Okay, Sam Elliott. Yes, this is the guy from from um, the Dude movie. Uh, what's it called? Help me out. Oh, I can't believe it. Jeff Bridges.
1: Yeah, he was in that He's got too. The
2: carpet, you know, like that's like your uh, opinion, man. You know, uh, what's that movie called?
1: But I never saw the dude. But I know. The Big
2: Lebowski. The Big Lebowski. Sam Elliott is is the sort of character that talks to him. So, so, okay, so maybe it's not Sam Elliott. It's another Sam guy who wrote Lobster Man. Hang on, Sam.
1: Greg's like I always get them mixed up. (laughs) I I don't
2: know what you guys are talking about. Don't tell me I dreamed this whole thing.
1: You did. Very possible. break
2: sam lobster man Plot. cowboy mouth Oh, maybe that's the one i'm thinking of sam shepherd god
1: darn it see you God darn right. it i'm like sam Elliott's an actor that's all i've ever known him from
2: well sam shepherd is too oh okay yeah click look at the google cowboy mouth
1: cowboy
2: mouth oh i'm gonna send you a picture look at this picture this is like yeah see i don't know why i thought it was lobster man there you I go cowboy know. mouth look at that poster what's in the poster
1: I don't know, but this is Sam Elliott. He's he's way cute.
2: I know, but look look at the poster. It's got a it's got a um, a lobster and a gun.
1: Yes, it does. It's You're right.
2: Cowboy no, knows. I'm so Rick, talking Rick...
1: about the other guy. In the... yeah, yeah. No, I have a crush on him. I always have.
2: Okay, you'll have a crush on this guy too. Hang on one sec. But I know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> Greg I, is totally I, you know...
1: gonna leave us right now.
2: <laughs> Should we start the show? Why don't we start the show? Well, we could. Well, we where's could. Mark? Mark's on his way. I'm just trying to get trying to get his ETA. He's in traffic.
1: Oh, see I'm Two just minutes, wasting he time here, Greg. I'm I'm not really
2: So anyway, look at click on the link I just sent you in the chat there, Tammy. All
1: right.
2: Madam Coron, if that's your real name.
1: Oh uh, he's all right. He not, he's, he's not right. he's not rough. But he's not training. Sam
2: Shepherd. No, I know what you mean. I like Sam Shepherd. I always thought that Sam Elliott was Sam Shepherd. That's what I'm saying. I always used to get those guys mixed up, right? No, so.
1: Sam Elliott. He, he's but the, yeah,
2: he's the guy in the Big Lebowski.
1: See, I never saw that movie.
2: Well, now you have to. It's a cult. It's a cult classic.
1: Go so put it right up there with uh, Firefly.
2: Oh God, help us all!
1: <laughs> all right, do you want to start the real show? I, I feel weird starting it without if Mark here. If only I here. could
2: swear in Chinese. Why would you want to swear in Chinese? Oh man, you haven't seen Firefly either.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Way no. to go.
2: <laughs> Way to save Tammy. Okay, the, fan, the wait till the fans hear this after show. They're going to be like, what the. Okay, no, let's we keep can it wait, clean. We can,
3: wait, we can wait. for Mark.
2: Can we? He says two minutes, but oh, I'm here. Don't see the call on Skype. Oh, I gotta, I gotta add him. See, we're having so much fun without Mark. Hang on.
1: Hey, look. Anytime Mark. Sam Elliott is involved, yeah, I have fun.
2: No, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the same way. Like, you know, two.
1: well, also there are two other people. Hey. Um, oh gosh, the the, the the kid who married the kid. Yeah, he married. What's her face? She's like a thousand years older oh, than he is. Right.
2: Yeah, Macaulay Culkin. No.
1: <laughs> Not that <laughs> the one with the dark hair. He's a real nice boy, and he married... Yes, thank you. What's the kid's name?
2: Sebastian Kutcher, I think.
1: Thank you. See, Mark oh. to the rescue.
2: I thought you were going to say Bruce Willis and Danny No, no, Moore. Bruce
1: Willis was her original husband, and then she went off with... Ashton Kutcher, who's, Kutcher who's but he's now married he's,
2: But he's now married to Mila, Mila Kulis.
1: Oh, him and Demi aren't together?
2: No, you know Mila Kulis, the girl from the 70s show?
1: Well, the other, guy. The, okay, so the, so the kid, the other kid from that 70s show, the stoners guy, Velmer, is also oh. in this show that I've been Topher, watching. Topher Grace.
2: Oh, really? Okay.
1: Yeah, the one with the glasses. Do you know his name, Mark? Which one? He had the fuzzy hair. He was in that 70s show. He was- yeah, I don't know him. I don't know. Well, he's in yeah. that show, too. But anyway, Mark's here, so we can start the real show now.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing